Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera. A late post, but I think one that you can listen to over the next couple of days that won't be dated. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everybody who has tuned in to this little show that we have. This is episode 50. We are halfway to the century mark, so thank you so much for all the support and all the love that I've gotten for this podcast. I really appreciate it. For everybody out there listening, I, I don't. Sometimes I wonder what, what you guys uh, what you guys are doing listening to a guy like me, but I really appreciate it. And I I, I think uh, I think we've got some big things in store for this podcast later on this year. So, uh, as I said, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. That way, you get updates on when I'm going to be posting different things. Uh, as I've done so in episodes past, I, I usually detail where I'm recording things. Well, I'm not in my car this time, so that's a, that's a positive. Uh, but I am in the empty guest room of our house. I told you we moved, so there's boxes everywhere, and in this room there's literally nothing. So I just didn't want to sit in my car tonight, put the kids to bed. So here's a situation in my life, and it's kind of interesting, to, to be honest with you. As I'm recording this podcast, I've got... Uh, my daughter's camera on in her room, and I've got another camera on in the living room just in case my son decides to walk out and uh, see what's going on. So uh, <laughs> that's what I've got going on. So here's the thing. As you many of you know, my lovely wife, uh, a woman that I definitely outkicked my coverage with, um, she is uh, she's one of the main anchors over at Fox 26. So proud of her. Uh, so this week she's actually filling in uh, at 9 and 10 o'clock. Uh, she usually anchors the 5 o'clock show. She's featured at 6 and 9 as well with reports, but she also fills in anchoring. So she's actually at the station um, all week long. And, you know, once we kind of all get back to the swing of things and kind of be reporting back to our jobs and stations, we're still we're still working from home. We're still reporting from home. I am, at least, recording all my sports segments from home and, and editing all my stories from home, too. Uh, well, she's anchoring from home, but this week she's going to the studio, which uh, which is you know which is great seeing her in that in that in that setting, and she does so well with it. Uh, but that means I am here at the house with the two kids, and so every every now and then, luckily my parents have come by to help me out with some of the things. But I gotta tell you, it is crazy. A son who is four years old and a daughter who is about to be one. I can't believe she's about to be one. By the way, it's been a year that we'll never forget. I can't wait to tell stories to her later on in life when she grows older about uh, about this year, her first year in the world, this pandemic that we've been living in. But uh, it's kind of crazy here at the house, so I am recording this a little later than I would have thought. I wanted to do it a little earlier, but I didn't get around to it. This episode dedicated to the future of college sports here in Texas, both basketball and football, spring football right around the corner, and my guest today is Sam Kahn Jr. of The Athletic. He's been around for a really long time. I've known Sam for a long time. One of the classiest guys that you will uh, ever meet in this profession, this sports journalism profession. He, he's, he's very good. He's an excellent writer, and he knows his stuff. Um, so he's with The Athletic now. He was with ESPN for a long time. He wrote this brilliant piece for them on the Southwest Conference. I, I suggest you go check it out if it's still posted somewhere. Just kind of looking back at the history, it kind of made me think of wanting to do a documentary, actually, on the Southwest Conference. How cool would that be? Just kind of bring back some of those old memories, some of the old players and everybody that was involved and taking a look at how the whole thing dissolved and all the 
bitterness in between schools and the politicking behind the scenes. Well, Sam covered a lot of that, and if I ever did do a documentary on it, he would be a part of it because uh, this piece was excellent. So Sam Kahn Jr. is my guest to talk about the future of college basketball in the state. We talk about U of H. We talk about Texas. Chris Beard uh, heading to Texas, leaving Texas Tech, which I touch on it a little bit, but I thought that was kind of a kind of a snake move. I'm not going to lie. And look, I know Chris Beard has his ties to Texas. That's where he went to school, this and that. But that's one of these things about these coaches, man. And some of these coaches, they just they say a bunch of stuff to get into the good graces of fan bases in the moment. And then, man, when an opportunity arises or when some more money is thrown at them, not saying that Chris Beard took this job for the money, although I'm sure he is getting more money. Um, you know, it's it's a connection that he has with UT and all that. But, you know, he called Texas Tech his dream job. And he talked about the the atmosphere in Lubbock and how he loves it and all the things that he's done with it. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, he he was there and he what he did for Texas Tech is amazing. And that's the thing. And Sam talks about it. Like, Texas Tech's a better basketball program than UT right now. So you're leaving it because of the you know, emotional attachments that you may have. But that's really the only reason, because basketball-wise, Texas Tech is better uh, overall program right now. So we'll see what Chris Beard can do with Texas. We talk about that a little bit. And we also talk about spring football. A lot of these practices are starting up. A lot of availability is happening this week. U of H, Dana Holgerson, is this a make-or-break year for him? Last year was so weird for the Cougars. Lots of games lost because of COVID. They're not the only, they're not the only. <clears throat> oh my goodness! Excuse me, something got caught in my throat. They weren't the only ones, by the way, to be affected by COVID. So many. It was such a weird season. Um, you know, the SEC I think did it right. Alabama going undefeated, having their season was totally legit. There's no asterisk there at all. But uh, we talk about college football. Steve Sarkeesian. At Texas, uh, Jimbo Fisher, what he's doing there. So Sam talks about what uh, each of those teams has to look forward to, especially during spring practice and heading into the season, which I can't wait. College football is my passion, my 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 true love, my true sports love, if you will. Obviously, most of you guys know, all of you must know that uh, I'm a big Northwestern fan, but uh, that's really my 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 passion. College football. There's nothing better than college football. So. Uh, we talk about all of that as well. So we'll get into that in a moment. But first, I figured I'd address the Astros, right? I mean, the Astros storming out of the gate. Holy smokes. Astros at 5-1 and one after another victory today out in Anaheim. Carlos Correa with a huge ninth-inning home run to put the Astros ahead. And this past weekend on Sports Extra, we talked about Carlos Correa, whether or not he made the right choice on uh, skipping out on that five-year, $125 million contract offer the Astros made for him. I think that was a huge mistake. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who was advising him. Uh, I think, I, I, look, I appreciate betting on yourself. I think that's awesome. I think that's, you know, that's really commendable. Uh, but I think that, I mean, that's a lot of money to pass up. And I know he wants to be kind of in the upper echelon, you know, the $30 million range, the kind of the, the contract that Francisco Lindor just signed. But, you know, Carlos, and, and that's just not his fault, right? I mean, he's had some bad luck along the way with injuries, um, offensive inconsistencies every now and then. I mean, but I think that guy's so important for the team, 
And I think the Astros did good by offering five years, $125 million. $25 million for a guy who has not completed a full season yet and who, you know, you can argue has not really hit that potential that a lot of people had for him, right? The promise that a lot of people had for him. Now, this, the bar was really high. People calling him the next Alex Rodriguez, this and that. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing the guy. I mean, to each his own. Like I said, I credit him, you know, wanting to bet on himself a little bit, going into the season, not wanting to negotiate another contract. This is how he wants to do it. He wants to test free agency. I don't know how many teams are going to offer him more than $25 million. And who knows? He may go out there. He may see what's out there. He may not get the offer that he wants. He may come back to the Astros. Now, will that offer still be there? I'm not sure. Uh, But I just think that that amount of money is really, really hard to pass up. And uh, I hope it all works out for him because I love Carlos Correa. I've I've, known him since he got here. I've done multiple interviews with him. Um, you know, interviewed him at a charity work. I mean, I think he's great. He loves the city. I know he wants to be here. So that's why I was surprised that he turned down that kind of offer. It's all about leverage too. I get it. Negotiations back and forth, especially these high dollar negotiations. It's all about leverage. And so let's hope he doesn't get hurt and let's hope it all works out for him because I think he, um, I think he still has that potential in him. He's just got to get a little bit more consistent which is why I'm surprised he didn't take it because that was a huge and, frankly, pretty generous offer from the Astros given the uh, the history that Correa has had on the field. Obviously, you know, his leadership was huge last year in the ALCS. He really stepped up in the playoffs. That was a massive boost to this team. And he's always, especially since the, the cheating scandal with the trash cans and all that, he's really been the one guy with some stones to really combat some of the other crap that's been going on from other teams. So... I commend him for that, and I know I think the Astros took all that into account when offering him the uh, five-year 125, um, but I just, uh, I don't know. I hope it works out for him. Let's just say that. I hope it works out for him, and I'd love to see him in an Astros uniform. I think that'd be really cool. I think the likelihood of that is uh, less than it was before. I think he really is serious about testing free agency um, and see where he goes, maybe back to the East Coast. Maybe somewhere else. He's already won a World Series, so I know the guy wants to win, but at least he's got that in his back pocket. He's already won it, so maybe he's looking for that huge payday now. So good luck to Carlos. I can't wait to see to see what he does this season. Astros swinging the bats. Kyle Tucker swinging it really well. Uh, that Angels team is not bad. They've got a pretty solid lineup out there. We know about Mike Trout. Uh, Shohei Otani has been playing pretty well. they got a solid lineup. Anthony Rendon. Now all, all the Angels have to worry about is their pitching. So uh, those two four and one teams going up against each other on on Tuesday, but the Astros got the upper hand, and now they come back home for the uh, home opener. So we'll see uh, we'll see what happens there. I think it's uh, it was funny to see some of the signs that are already being thrown up by uh, opposing fans. They did get booed. It looked like they were using that to their advantage. I like that, right? I like grow, grow a pair, man. Last year, especially during spring training at the beginning, before all the COVID stuff hit, it really looked like they, those guys were neutered. Especially that press conference, man. That was just brutal. But now they got a little bit of swag. You know, Bregman put some muscle on. He's hitting the ball a little bit. That's what they got to play with. They got to play with a chip on their shoulder. Everybody around the league hates them. So why not be that guy except the villain role? And so far, so good. They've accepted it on the road. Six games. They've won five. So um, I, uh, I I think so far, so good. I think they win the division. I think they win 94 games. 
I predicted on Sports Extra that Lance McCullers will finish in the top five Cy Young voting. So there's a lot of there's a lot of promise there. I think it's going to be great. Uh, it's nice to have baseball back. That's for sure. Every night to see a game, it's awesome. And every night to see a game that that's a fun sport. That's something that you can watch and enjoy. Not the NBA, for example. The NBA. I I just I'm not a fan of the NBA, especially the Rockets. I mean they it's just it's just so hard to watch those guys. I try to watch them when I can, but man, it's just brutal. Woo, man, it's brutal to watch those guys play. Those young kids. I know they're trying their best, but it's it's tough and god bless the rockets man they are in for the long haul that's for sure so good luck to steven silas but anyway i digress let's get into some of that college football and college basketball talk if we uh if we can right now as i said my guest is sam con jr of the athletic longtime sports writer was there with the houston chronicle then was with espn for a long time uh he knows what he's talking about when it comes to uh high school, college sports in this state. We talk about his career path a little bit at the beginning, and then we dive into some of the uh, some of the teams and some of the issues uh, facing those teams in the college sports landscape. Sam, take it away. Okay, Sam, well, I guess congratulations are in order. Uh, you are with The Athletic now. I was so happy to see this. I would never had a doubt, by the way, that you were going to kind of get back into the game here after what happened before, but uh, congratulations. How do you like it so far over there? Thank you. I, I love it so far. It's been a great job. I've got a great role that I've really enjoyed, you know, covering college football and recruiting in Texas, which I've done before. And it's kind of in my wheelhouse, but just being able to focus on the state as opposed to, you know, focusing on the Big 12 or the SEC, which has been part of my previous duties. It's been really nice to just hone in on the schools here in Texas because I've spent virtually my entire career covering them. So it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed, we've got a great team. You know, I've got a lot of teammates, some of which I've worked with before in the past. So it's nice to, you know, rekindle those relationships with some former colleagues and, and be back on the team with some of those guys. And uh, it's been a lot of fun just, you know, we got spring football in Texas. So it's been a lot of fun just, you know, bouncing around and trying to do some stuff. I've actually taken some trips here in the next uh, few weeks. I'll actually be visiting some schools and, uh, you know, doing some in-person reporting, which is uh, a nice change from what it's been the last year. So it's been a really good start, and I've enjoyed my time at the Athletics so far. It's been great, and I can't wait to do it uh, for the next uh, couple of years. I got to say, uh, when you, you announced your, the news before that uh, things were changing for you uh, career-wise, you got a lot of response for that. And um, as, a, as a journalist, as somebody I've known you for a long time um, that has been doing this, to get that type of response – and that's that support. It's got to be pretty cool because look, I value your right. I think you're really talented, um, and I, I you've got a, obviously a, a great number of connections. But how, how cool was that to just kind of know that your work is appreciated amongst the peers that you cover? I think that's got to be pretty neat for you. Yeah, it was. It was overwhelming. I mean, I, I certainly anticipated some response just because that's what happens. You know, when people announce that they've lost their jobs, that you know, certainly you expect something, but. I didn't have any idea that it would be to the degree that it was. And some of the people that reached out, I mean, people that I really admire in this business that I had no idea paid attention to my work, you know, that was really cool. Uh, and it, it was really flattering. And to me, it was evidence that, okay, I'm on the right track. I am doing this job the way that it probably should be done. And that's always been my hope is to, to deliver a product and to, to do journalism in the way that I think it should be done and that, you know, the people that I admire do it in, in that fashion. And so to get the kind of response that I did, it was very flattering. It was very humbling. And I was very appreciative of it because not just the support 
from people who reached out, but also just people who actually reached out to help like to, Hey, can I call somebody for you? You know, Hey, talk to this person because they may have a job for you. And that's what made my hiatus very short because I actually had a lot of options because people were nice enough to reach out and to, you know, offer assistance, you know, actually direct tangible assistance, you know, to get me back in, in the fold. And so I'm really appreciative of that. And, you know, I, I appreciate everybody that, that reached out. I promise you, I read every single message that I got. It's uh, pretty wild that you can have a beat just for one state, right? I mean, <laughs> you've been in Texas for a long time, covering high school too, and uh, this is it, man. You, you've got your whole beat is just the state. That's got to be pretty neat. You don't have to worry about some of the other stuff yeah. which is going on. No, it's nice. It's like a, as I was telling uh, my friend Max Olson, a coworker, yesterday. I said Texas is like a canvas I can just paint on, and it's really nice because there's so much going. I mean, we got in college, we've got 12 FBS programs. Obviously, a lot you know more FCS Division II programs, and then of course the high school football, which you know I grew up and covering. You know, my first seven years of my career, you know, at the Houston Chronicle, were heavily involved in covering high school football and high school sports in Texas. So that opportunity is great just to be involved in the recruiting aspect so that I can still keep a hand and then I still have an excuse to go to Galena Park ISD Stadium on a Friday night or to go to Del Mar Stadium on a Thursday night and, and go, you know, watch some of the up and coming talent and see, you know, players who are going on to the next level. So I'm super excited about that. And to be able to still work with people that I've had a long term relationships with is super helpful and it makes my job a lot easier. So we'll talk about football in a second because, as you mentioned, spring football is kind of kicking up here. Lots of availabilities this week. Uh, full disclosure, we were going to do this thing a little earlier in the day, but all these meetings started uh, popping up. So uh, I do want to talk to you about basketball, the basketball scene. Look, it wasn't too long ago that Texas college basketball, there, there were no teams in the tournament. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. What was that, like yeah. four, five, years, five years ago, five, six years yeah. ago or something like that? And now it seems like the landscape has changed. And I know this stuff is kind of cyclical, right? It goes kind of in and out, but there's so much talent in Texas that it's staying here a little bit more. What's your uh, kind of view of the Texas college ball basketball landscape here? Well, you know, having covered, you know, high school ball here in the state, I always knew that there was talent in the state. A lot of it was just a matter of keeping some of that talent here. And, you know, you, I think you've seen some of these programs do a much better job of it over the last few years and honestly I think just like college football who is running your program is so critical to success so we see the programs that have had high success in the recent years obviously Baylor coming off the national championship I mean look at what Scott Drew has done since he got there in 2003 and the kind of stability he's built in the program you look you, at Houston way, and kill before we go before we go to U of H I want to talk to you about Baylor have, have sure. you have you seen that type of a turnaround before because I mean I, I remember I remember what happened there. We don't need to rehash what happened there. And it's truly remarkable what Scott Drew has done in the 20 years, less than 20 years, shoot, that he's been there. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything quite like it, especially to be able to take that and get it to the point of actually winning the national championship. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to take a program from where they were to get to the tournament or to get to the Sweet 16 or, or Elite Eight, maybe flirt with the Final Four appearance, but to actually go all the way through and win win it all the way they did. And not just win it all, win it all in a dominant fashion. I mean, they were all over Houston. They were all over Gonzaga. Gonzaga looked a step slow last night. Like the athleticism, the depth. When, when guys come off the bench – and the starters come out, there's no drop-off on this roster. It was incredible. I mean, it, it, Drew has built out the talent on that roster, and 
installed a culture and he's got some consistency in his coaching staff. They got the facilities. It's, it's impressive what he's pulled off and my hat's off to him. Okay. So sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I, no I, figured, I, yeah, I figured you want to chime in on Baylor since they just won the whole thing, but yeah, uh, U of H, the future's bright there. Texas has a new coach. I'll talk about Chris Beard in Texas here in a second. I feel that that situation's a little odd uh, because that uh, we don't usually see rival schools, a coach jump from one to the other, but U of H let's go U of H first. And then we go to Texas. Uh, I think this could open up some doors if they weren't already right for Kelvin Sampson and his team, that tangible effect or that tangible result of, uh, of the product that he puts in uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Kelvin has been such a stabilizing force for them because that program was left for dead when he got there. I mean, I'm sure you've been, you were in Hoffheim's pavilion before they turned it into the Fatita Fatita center. It was old. It was dark. It was ugly and it was not fun to watch. Yeah. (laughs) It was not fun to watch basketball in. I mean, you know, there were rats running around the joint, you know, and I remember, you know, when Tom Petters was there, you know, they couldn't get hot water for the showers in the locker room for the players. I mean, that's right. Tom Tom would say that when we, that actually, when we went to the tournament with them, when Aubrey Coleman and that, that awesome run they had through the conference tournament that year, I think one of the availabilities, he said, I don't even know how sometimes we, we, we get things done. Because yeah. there were so many things that were wrong over there. Yeah, and I, I remember talking to Kelvin a couple of years ago, and I worked on a story on kind of the revival of the program. And he he told me he said people want to know why Ray McCallum or Tom Penders or or all these guys James Dickey had struggles. He goes, they didn't have a fighting chance because they didn't have an equal playing field, you know, with everybody else because of those issues. But when Kelvin got there, he ensured and was aggressive about we're going to get this done. We're going to build you know, a practice facility. We're going to commit to getting the arena redone. And I mean, Hunter Yurichik told me, you know, yeah, Kelvin was bothering him all the time when he was the athletic director there. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm sure Chris Pesman will tell you the same, that that Kelvin is very aggressive and wants to get these things done. And by doing that and then taking what he's learned, not just in his previous college stints, but also his time in the NBA, I think that reshaped him a little bit as a coach. I think he looks at the game a little bit differently and I think he coaches a little bit differently and he's now installed a program that is not going to just, okay, we're going to make a run and then we'll make a run another three, four years. They're making runs every year, even though we're going to lose talented guys, we're going to replace them with talented guys because we've got a pretty good flow of talent and depth coming in. And I, it's been fascinating. Now, and like he said, I think this is the start of something for them and, and the, the potential is potentially going to doing what Baylor did, you know, last night. Imagine what this team could have been with Caleb Mills still there, Nate Hinton, which you can argue probably maybe left a little earlier. I mean, the, yeah, you're right. I mean, the talent has been coming through the building. Okay, now I want to go to Texas and Texas Tech and Chris Beard. Um, I'll, I'll give my opinions. I know you, you're on the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the teams a little bit more. It just it, – it felt weird. It felt weird to me. Obviously, the folks in Lubbock very upset. Um, I don't know. I, I, coaches – Coaches get a hard time get a hard time because of the loyalty aspect, right? I mean, they just jump from one team to another. But this one in particular seemed just so odd to jump to a rival, especially like that. I don't know what your take on it is, but the folks that you've kind of talked to, but it, it was it it surprised me. I will say that. I wasn't necessarily shocked because I think just reading the tea leaves when you talk to people throughout college basketball it seemed like the Chris Beard had his eye on that Texas job. That if it opened, because again, he's an, an alumnus. You know, he was a grad assistant there under Tom Penders. It's a it's a destination for him. And 
certainly he had deep ties to Texas Tech from his time as an assistant there and what he's done over the last five years, taking them to a national championship game. But And I do find it odd to agree with you because right now Texas Tech is a better basketball program than Texas. Yes. <laughs> Texas Tech was not seeking a head coach. Texas was, and there's a reason for that. So, and they had made a significant commitment to a facility. We talk about, you know, a facility they were doing the Womble Center at Texas Tech. And they have shown Chris Beard, we'll give you a lifetime contract. We'll give you the Womble Center. We'll do all of this that you need to do. But I think Chris's heart was in Austin. And the idea of coming back to where he went to school and building that and taking that to a national championship just became enticing for him. It, it I think it spoke volumes when, Kirby Hokut, the athletic director of Texas Tech, said that we were not given a chance to have a counteroffer. That told me Chris Beard wanted to move on. He wanted to go to Texas. When this job opened up, he said, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. And so he's off and running. So now becomes the interesting thing is, will he turn them into a national power? Because they have not won a, not a tournament game since 2014. Yeah. And they have oh, not wow. been Sweet out of the first, they have not been out of the first weekend of the tournament since I believe 2007 or 2008. It's been 13 years since they've been out of the first weekend of the tournament. That's a long time. So this is not a power program, even though it's a power in terms of resources and name brand and soon to be facilities with the Moody Center. It is not a power in the conventional sense with the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the Kansases and even the Baylors. They have been surpassed. Texas has been surpassed by Texas Tech. Baylor and Houston in its own state in yeah. college basketball. But what do you think, what that's do you think Beer's challenge is to get them yeah. back there. Where do you think Texas Tech can go now? Is that a, did they, did they hire a coach already? They did. Mark oh, Adams, did. Okay. the assistant, okay. he got promoted. Okay. So Sorry. That, got a lot going on in my life. Man. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's getting introduced tonight. I think at five or six o'clock tonight, but they're going to try to stay the course and, you know, take the foundation that they built under Beard. And continue it, you know, and I, I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. You know, North Carolina did a similar thing with Hubert Davis with where Williams retiring. If you have a winning culture, there's no sense in changing it if, if you can avoid it. And if Mark can, you know, and they're, they're not going to retain all the assistants. York Malagy is, is going to join uh, Chris Beard at Texas. You know, we saw that. So, you know, they're going to lose definitely at least one assistant. But if you can create the same type of culture and you can – have some continuity, then I think you have a chance to continue being successful. And Texas Tech, I think, has a reputation now because of what they accomplished in 2019 and what because they've done in the last few years that they do have a reputation of a successful basketball program. They'll be able to draw recruits. And with the Womble Center, I think that'll give them a little bit more of an even playing field with the power programs. So this week, uh, we've got a lot of spring football going on. Um, last year was just so – it was so weird um, because of all the COVID stuff and all the things that happened. I feel bad for a program like U of H that had, what, three or four weeks without playing a game. We saw that not just here, but several other teams. Rice had issues, um, not just internally, but with other teams in the conference. Are you, are you getting the sense that this is starting to feel a little bit more normal uh, for these teams as they kind of come around to spring football again, as opposed to last year, which was just so up in the air. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the, the further along we get in the spring and summer and the more people get vaccinated, I think that's going to help all going a long way toward getting us back to normal from every standpoint, but especially from football, because, uh, you know, this, the, the product is not, it's difficult when you have to do everything virtually. I think we've all learned that. And doing team meetings virtually, uh, obviously you can't practice virtually, but, you know, having to stop and start because of positive tests, the, the less that becomes a factor, 
the, the more consistency you can have and the better off your B. I think we saw Houston at effect. They had eight games impacted by COVID last year. I think they're, they were one of the most impacted teams in the country. I, I bet you Dana Holgerson would tell you that if, if they had not had all those schedule changes, maybe their season would have ended differently. You know, maybe they would have been able to keep some momentum from the way they started. Cause when they started the season, I thought they actually had shown some promise, but yeah, I think we're getting closer and, and I hope so far this spring, I think we've only had one team in the state that I know that had to pause, which was Texas. They had to pause for a week and uh, but they're back at it. And I think the fewer of those we see, uh, then I think the more it's a sign that we're getting back to normal. What do you, uh, how do you, how do you analyze the teams that you, let's start with U of H right here in town. Um, what do you think Dana Holgerson's um, report card is so far at U of H? You know, he came in with a lot of promise, um, West Virginia. He, this is a job that he wanted. He came here. He, he had a lot of things he wanted to do. But then last year happens. You, I, right now, I don't really know. I, I can't really get a sense about where they're at. Is that fair? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I, I would call it incomplete at this point because the first year was a bit of a wash because of the redshirt experiment. You know, they decided – okay, we're going to redshirt all these guys and try to put down a really good team for 2020. And then you have, like I said, eight of your games impacted by COVID, yeah. you know, in 2020. So that, that made a little bit of a challenge. I will say this. I think it's imperative that they have a really strong season this year. And I, when I say that, I mean contend for the conference championship because this is year three. You've had some continuity on your offensive coaching staff. Most of the guys in that offensive staff room are the same from when, they, when Dana got hired. You've got a, a now a third-year starter in Clayton Toon. Uh, you've been able to build up some depth defensively. Now it's time to see all this roster management that you've been spending two years doing. It's now time to see it pay off in terms of wins and losses. So I think it's a huge season for, for Dana because I think if you don't have them contend for a conference championship, I think you're going to start hearing some rumblings and people are going to be rightfully frustrated that all this money that we invested and the commitment that we made to be successful isn't paying off tangibly. Is that unrealistic though? I mean, I have always said that U of H is a basketball school. They're living <laughs> up to it over there on that end. Um, is it unreal? I, I don't know. I mean, Tom Herman, I guess kind of reignited the fire over there for uh, Cougar fans. Is it, is it realistic to say that they, they should be at that level every single year? No, I think, I think it's absolutely within question that they should be with the UCFs of the world, you know, the Boise States of the world where they should be an upper end group of five team because of the financial commitment they made, because look at their practice facility, their indoor practice facility is one of the best in the country. You know, they've got, of course, they've spent the money on coaching staff and head coach that, you know, they've committed, uh, you know, 4 million a year to, to Dana and equally as much to an assistant staff pool. Uh, they've, you know, they're trying to raise money for a, a football only operations building. You know, those are all things that big time programs have. So if you're going to have that kind of commitment and you want those kind of results and you see the success you mentioned with Tom Herman, they won a peach bowl mm -hmm. uh, and they won the conference. Kevin Sumlin flirted with going to BCS bowl. Of course, they lost that infamous conference championship game to Southern Miss 2011, but he got them into the national rankings into national relevance. And of course, you know, Art Bryles, when he took over, that program was very much in the gutter and he was able to kind of lift them. They won a conference championship when he was there. They were in yeah. conference USA at the time. And so, yeah, I do think it's reasonable for them to expect now, are they going to do it every single year? Not necessarily, but I think it's reasonable every couple or three years, they should either win the conference or be in con serious contention for it. Uh, uh, around the state, uh, Texas A&M, at least for now, has definitely passed UT. 
in my opinion, right? I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no question about that. What, what, what do you think about what they did last year, heading into this year with Jimbo Fisher's gotten? I think that moment that that's strong. Their recruiting is strong and keeps getting better and better every year. It's pretty impressive. I think what Jimbo's done there. Yeah, no, he's built a really strong foundation. I think last year was so huge for them because it was validation for his program, for everybody watching, for the recruits that he's trying to get to come there, that we are moving in the right direction. You know, they when they flipped the schedule, you know, because of the coronavirus, I looked at that schedule. I saw Florida and Alabama in the first two of the first three weeks, and I was like, eesh. I was like, that's <laughs> going to be tough. And sure enough, they navigated it pretty well and, you yeah. know, end up nine and one. And I was really impressed with the way they did that. They, they bring back nine starters on defense. So I think they feel like they could be as good defensively as they've been in a couple of decades. Offensively is going to be where the big question is. They've got a ton of skill talent coming back with Anaya Smith, Devon A. Chain, Isaiah Spiller, Jalen Weidermeyer, a ton of talented guys, but they got to answer the quarterback question. Who's going to be the starter. And they've got four or five offensive linemen to replace. And I think that last part is going to be the biggest part because I think what was so key for them succeeding last year offensively was that running game was Kellen Mond getting protected and not getting sacked that offensive line paving the way they've got four new starters they've got the one they've got back is really good Kenyon Green from Atascacita but uh but they've got to figure out who's going to compliment him on that offensive line while he mans the, the left tackle spot Spiller is so fun he, he was one of those kids that you know at, at Klein Collins I mean he was he was such a, a fun guy to cover just a good young man I don't, I'm sure you You've talked to him before, too, which brings me to my next question. I wanted to ask you, would you, is there one guy throughout your time? You've covered a lot of guys from high school. Is there one guy that kind of sticks out to you that you're it was just a fun dude to cover? For me, it's Trey Williams mm-hmm. from Decaney. The, the, the way he played at Decaney, leading him all the way to that, that title game and winning it and all that. I, I just think he was a lot of fun. He had that personality. Is there somebody that sticks out to you like that, that kind of went on to one of these uh, Texas schools and did kind of the same? My, my, the guy at the high school level that I always go back to that was the most fun for me. And it was very early in my career to watch as a high school player with Sam McGuffey at Cy Fair. Uh, yes. Sam was an incredible athlete, not just as a football player, but also as a track athlete. Like he was incredible to watch. Of course, we all remember the hurdle that he had uh, in that one game against Cy Creek, but he was a tremendous talent. I mean, I remember watching him run circles around defenders. Uh, and of course his college career, I don't think went as we thought it might, you know, and he went to Michigan and eventually transferred back to rice. And now he's, you know, doing bobsled and, and yes. rugby. So shows what kind of athlete he is, by the way, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he was a, he was a tremendous pure athlete. And to me, I almost liken it when I started covering college football and I got to see Johnny Manziel on Saturdays, you never knew what Johnny was going to do. You just knew it was going to be fun to watch. Sam was like that for me at the high school level. I never knew what Sam was going to do, but I knew I was going to have to pay attention because it was going to be sure as a lot of fun to watch on Friday nights. And, and he, he, he's probably the guy that I think of. Andrew Luck was a lot of fun to cover way back when. Uh, Andrew was one of those guys, when you watched him, you knew right away that he was going to play on Sundays because he had the size, yeah. he had the arm strength, he had the mobility, the vision, the smarts, everything. And uh, you knew he was destined for greatness. But those two are probably the ones who would stick out the most to me the contrast between Sam's play on the field, his energetic uh, atmosphere of what he brought on the field to his personality. Great guy. One of the more soft-spoken people (laughs) that I've ever met. So that's kind of an interesting contrast. I want to ask you about Texas. Obviously with Steve Sarkeesian over there on the, on uh, over there in Austin. So what do you think he can do? What, what, what kind of momentum does he have coming in 
right now? So far, he's off to a good start. You know, the the word is, and I've talked to people over there, is that what you see is what you get. The guy that you see in front of the mic is the same guy behind closed doors. He's high energy. He's direct. He's intense. But he also has made it fun for those guys. And they're enjoying the offense. It's going to take some time to adjust. It's a little bit different offense. He's going to throw a lot more at these guys from a schematic standpoint. You know, his playbook's going to be large. They're going to try a lot of different things. Uh, and then from a culture standpoint, I think you see so far recruits are buying in. He's had some pretty good success on the recruiting trail the first few months. I think they've got seven commits since he uh, took over the head coaching job and they're all highly rated. I think they're one of the top 10 recruiting classes in the country right now. So things are off to a good start. The question is, is, you know, back kind of like similar question with A&M, who's your starting quarterback and, you know, how, how well are you, what kind of production are you going to get from that position? You know, is it going to be Casey Thompson, who of course we saw in the Alamo bowl, who had a fantastic, you know, second half in relief of Sam Ellinger, or is it going to be Hudson card? You know, the young guy from Austin Lake Travis, who's a big time recruit um, and who's a tremendous athlete. I think either one of those guys, I think are really, really good options, but the star of that team, in my opinion, is going to be B. John Robinson, the running back. Uh, yeah. you, we saw him come on late last year. Uh, those last two games against Kansas state and Colorado, he really, blew up and I think when you see what Steve Sarkeesian did at Alabama when Najee Harris look for a lot of that type of schematics with B. John Robinson I think they're going to give him the ball a whole hell of a lot yeah he probably should have gotten the ball a lot more there towards the end of the Absolutely. season I would think um yeah and and so the last question I have for you is there a team I don't know it's super early is there a team that you see the rosters you see how they're shaping up that you, that you like that you like that many people may not be paying attention to after last year and heading into this year? I think TCU, they strike me as really interesting because they came on strong late. I think they won four out of the last five uh, toward the end of last season. They've got a returning starting quarterback in Max Duggan. And I think people forget about Max is that he came in as a freshman, didn't have the offseason, and didn't even really get to go through fall camp because uh, he had a heart procedure that he had done, so he had to miss the big chunk of fall camp yeah he started most of the year so he was still learning you know to play the position and to do it at the big 12 level throughout the course of the season last year I think a whole off season is going to help him you know a lot of local folks around here know the name Zach Evans Zach had 100 yards rushing in two of his last three games uh, Zach I think is going to be a star for those guys and of course we know you know Gary Patterson's defenses are always going to be tough they're always going to play uh, you know, intense ball, and they're going to they're gonna make it tough on opposing Big 12 offenses. The way they finished the season and some of the talent they got back, I think TCU's got a real chance to make some noise in the Big 12 this year. I can't wait, man. College football is, is, is my jam. I love it. I like that more than the NFL. You know where my allegiances lie all the That's time. Right. You, you always tell me. <laughs> uh, uh, yours, everybody seems to be paying attention to Northwestern if I'm around. I, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, but hopefully the Cats can surprise some more people this year and finally get to the Rose Bowl. Hey, but Sam, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. And good luck with The Athletic. I can't wait to read your stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much to uh, Sam Kahn Jr. You can read his work at The Athletic. I'm excited to see what he has uh, in that publication. As I, as I said before, I, I enjoy his work. He's one of the good ones in this business. You don't find him very often anymore, but he's definitely one of the good ones. So I'm sure I'll have him back on the podcast as the season gets closer, the college football season, that is, to talk about uh, – previewing the season. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned TCU. It's one of those sneaky teams, man. You never know what TCU is going to offer. Sometimes they're like really, really good. Sometimes they're very average. Gary Patterson has never really bottomed out 
there. So I, I thought that was interesting when he said TCU. I thought that was a, that was a, a cool pick for uh, Sam to make on his sleeper team in the uh, Big 12. All right, episode 50 in the books. That's going to do it. Hopefully I can record one tomorrow. And if I can, I really want to dive into this interview that Andre Johnson gave to uh, Brandon Marshall, Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson uh, on this I Am Athlete podcast that Brandon Marshall started. Uh, I think this is season two that he's in now. It, it was It's really good. It's guys talking about the game on a different level. It's really cool to, to see these kind of conversations. Well, Brandon had Andre Johnson on, and boy, he had a lot of things to say. I'm going to play a couple of those clips, hopefully tomorrow on this podcast. He tore into Jack Easterby one more time, still defending Deshaun Watson, and hope, hoping that Deshaun gets his opportunity to not waste his career. And I thought it was really interesting when Andre talked about why he stayed to be at, why he stayed with the Texans. He could have left. He asked for a trade. I remember when he asked for a trade a long time ago. And uh, he could have left. Um, but he didn't. And I thought the reason that he gave in that podcast was, was really good and a reason why so many people in this city love him. So I'm going to try to dive into that tomorrow if I can get a chance to record something. i got so much junk going on here at the house. Hopefully I can get that up tomorrow, and then Thursday is opening day, and then we'll kind of go from there and see what we got going on uh, the rest of the week. So, hope you guys have a good night. Hope you enjoyed Sam uh, Khan breaking down some college sports. Until next time, see you later.